let us now read the scriptures together this morning. Uh, you may want to read it along at home or just listen. Uh, but we're reading from Matthew 9. And Peter is going to be opening up these passages to us in a moment. So let us read God's word. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralysed man, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority. To man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me just pray for Peter uh, as he opens up God's word to us. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for Peter. And Lord, I just want to pray for Peter just now as he comes and he shares with us uh, the things that you have laid upon his heart. Holy Spirit, come and speak through him that we may be changed that we may know something of you this day, that we may know what this means. Oh Lord, we thank you that you bring us rich insight into who you are and what your word means for us in our lives. And Lord, we pray this day, we pray that as we listen, that our hearts may be open, that our minds may be open, that in fact we may be attentive, Lord, fully to you, at this time. Maybe listen as an act of worship. Maybe come in expectancy to know that we will hear from you, the true and living God. So we pray for Peter just now and we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Hand over to Peter now. Well, thank you. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, I've picked up this book and been reading it. It was recommended to me by a couple of folks outside the church. It's called Gentle and Lowly, 
the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. I don't know much about the book, but I decided to get a copy of it. And as I picked it up and began reading it, I was amazed to discover uh, that the book focuses on our verses for the year as a church from Matthew 11. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it tries to unpack what it means when Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly, gentle and humble in heart. And let me just read the introduction to you as an encouragement for you. And it says this, this is a book about the heart of Christ. Who is he? What is most natural to him? What ignites within him most immediately as he moves towards sinners and sufferers? What flows out most freely, most instinctively? This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical and the empty, those running on fumes. Those whose Christian lives feel like they are constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how can I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience might be running thin. For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect that we have deeply disappointed him. Who have told others of his love, yet wonder if, as for us, he harbours mild resentment. Who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond repair. Who are convinced that we have permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord. Who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living in numbing darkness. It is written, in other words, for normal Christians. In short, it is for sinners and sufferers. How does Jesus feel about them? Yes, you might need to pick up the book in order to find out in depth the answer to that. But there are encouraging answers to that question, both through our passage this morning uh, and through the stories that we've been looking at recently of different people who have come to Jesus throughout the Gospels. And there's a reason that we've chosen this theme as a church family for the year ahead of come to Jesus. It's because firstly, we as the church, not just us at Finlay, but the church worldwide, is full of sinners and sufferers, including you and I this morning. How many of us could relate to the introduction of that book? Uh, How often am I personally aware of my feelings? Uh, How often am I aware of that sense of feeling that, you know, I must have disappointed the Lord? How often do I carry wounds and scars and often wonder how much use I am to the Lord. 
And that's true of all of us. And yet Jesus still says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is just a tremendous promise to us all. And as we look and read through the word of God, we discover this to be true. I think of my namesake in the Bible, uh, Peter, a man who knew the love of Jesus, who told others about him, who was zealous for the Lord, yet one who made tremendous mistakes and let the Lord down in a very personal way. Yet as he comes to Jesus following his denial of him, we discover Jesus to be gentle, lowly of heart. And rather than Jesus saying, that's it, Peter, we're finished. There's no way back from this one. My point of greatest need, you denied even knowing me, Peter, and that cut me to the heart. I can never forgive you for that. So how many of us might have responded, but no, not Jesus. Incredibly and graciously, Jesus restores him. What a good God we have. Jesus does that for each one of us as Christians who come to him. He gently restores us when we mess up or our lives go off track. The times that we let him down so painfully that anyone else would sever their relationship with us, but not Jesus gives us a new identity. He tells us that far from being finished, he has a new work that he wants to do in and through our lives. Even astonishingly, in Peter's case, saying to Peter that upon this rock, I am going to build my church. And he ministers to our hearts and wounds and he gives us strength as we wait upon him so that we may soar like eagles. And he gives us hope and purpose and assurance. And so the church is full of sinners and sufferers saved by grace. You and I this morning. But our world is also full of sinners and sufferers who need to experience that divine grace of God. And is that not why Jesus came? And our desire is to see people come to Jesus knowing that the Lord is gentle and lowly. That he does not treat us as our sins deserve. That he himself was a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. Who wants to minister to people in their suffering. Whether that be spiritual, physical, emotional or psychological. The Lord wants to make them whole. That is why he came. And he didn't come to earth in order to withhold blessings from us. And we see that through the Gospels. Or to say to people, yes, I could help you, but I'm not going to. No, he loved to give freely to those who humbly sought him and came in faith to him, acknowledging their need of him. The Lord Jesus does not give in part. He gives us all of himself, holding nothing back, even going to the cross 
for a broken world. Amen. Hallelujah. What a good God we worship and serve this morning. And just for a couple of moments this morning, I just want to encourage you from the story we heard read, those verses, grounding some of what I've just shared in Scripture. And the setting for our story is that Jesus has been ministering on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And then he gets back in the boat to go back across the Sea of Galilee to what the text describes as his own city. Matthew 4.13 records for us something that happened in Jesus' earlier life. And it says this, Leaving Nazareth, he, that is Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum. Sometimes when you wander around a city here in the UK, you might be wandering down a street and you see a plaque on a house uh, saying, so and so lived here. And there could have been such a plaque in Capernaum because for much of his adult life, uh, Jesus used Capernaum as his base for itinerant ministry throughout that region, uh, basing himself in that small fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. And maybe some of you have been to that region and you might have been shown the spot where they thought that Jesus' house was, where he lived alongside Peter and others. And so this is where Jesus based himself at this time uh, while conducting his ministry. And as we think about coming to Jesus, our first story uh, this morning is about a group of friends who bring someone in need to Christ, uh, convinced of his ability, presumably from hearing stories of what he had done elsewhere, that Jesus could heal their friend who was a paralytic. Something surprising happens right at the outset of this story as recorded in verse 2 where it says this, when Jesus saw their faith, that is the faith of the friends of the paralysed man. He said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. So we think about coming to Jesus and all that Jesus offers. The first thing I want us to note this morning is this. For each one of us, our greatest need is forgiveness. These men bring their friend to Jesus and note firstly that Jesus gives this man a word of encouragement. He tells him, take heart or be of good cheer. What a strange thing to say. Some of us in the church are wonderful encouragers uh, and we're so thankful for your ministry. But to be able to offer encouragement to this man as he's lowered through the roof to be placed on a mat before Jesus is astounding. And it points us towards something of the heart of Christ, which we mentioned at the outset towards people who are sinners and sufferers. Note that Jesus immediately welcomes the man into his presence with an encouraging word despite all the chaos that he and his friends have caused 
Well, that we would do that to one another when we meet either virtually online or in time in person. That we would welcome people both into our presence and into the presence of Jesus with an encouraging word. And then you would expect Jesus to say this, take heart or be of good cheer. I can see that you are in need of physical healing and I'm willing to heal you. So get up, take your mat and walk. But that is not the first thing that Jesus says. Instead, Jesus speaks firstly to the man's spiritual condition. And even more astoundingly for the crowd watching on who are still in this process of trying to work out Jesus' identity, he proclaims that the man's sins are forgiven. You know, this statement is so shocking that the religious teachers of the law who are part of the crowd watching on immediately spot both the theological significance of what Jesus has just said and the personal significance for Christ himself in terms of the identity that he is claiming through these words. And it sends shockwaves through the crowds and the teachers of the law cry out, Blasphemer! Claiming to forgive sins. Jesus is elevating himself above the position of a simple rabbi or teacher even elevating himself above the role of the great prophets whose ministry was often accompanied by miracles. And claiming to be able to forgive sins, Jesus is claiming to be God. And as we explore the theme of coming to Jesus, the opening verses of this great story give us the first reason that we must come to Christ. For he is God with us. And man's greatest problem amidst all the problems that we face in life is separation from God. And that sin that plagues each of our hearts. And if only that relationship could be restored and that sin could be dealt with. On a daily basis we try and control it but we fail. We know that that sin creates a barrier between us and those we love the most. Not just family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and the church, but between ourselves and God himself. And yet as this man comes to Jesus, Jesus pronounces his sins forgiven. Hallelujah. One of the most interesting things about Jesus' miracles of healing is that often the physical ailments uh, that are represented through people uh, in the Gospels become a picture of a, a spiritual condition of the crowd and the society in which we live in. And Jesus uses these miracles to teach us spiritual lessons. Jesus makes the blind see, but at the same time, he speaks about the people's inability to be able to see the truth in front of their eyes and God himself. And he proclaims that only those with the faith of a child will truly see the kingdom of God. He heals the deaf so that they can hear but then challenges the crowd 
who hear his teachings day after day, but are deaf to his call to salvation, and fail to really hear and understand the life-changing truth that he presents. And a paralysed man who is powerless becomes a spiritual symbol to people of their spiritual paralysis and the paralysis of the crowd and the way that they are powerless in the face of sin. Yet Jesus says this, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go home. What happens? The man gets up and he takes his mat and he goes home physically restored but also spiritually restored. Sins forgiven. And isn't that what we all need? That spiritual restoration comes first and foremost. And then as we trust in Jesus, we can come to him with all the other burdens that we carry, like a need for physical restoration. And that is not wrong. Often God loves to answer those prayers as well as we see in the text this morning. Because he loves us and he cares about us. But he says, trust me first, come to me first for forgiveness. Because in doing that, you will receive the assurance of full restoration, no matter what happens in this life. Many, by the grace of God, he brings healing in this life. We praise God for every time we see cancer healed or a person being touched by Jesus and their life restored. He is the great physician. But at other times, God does not bring that healing in this life. But because of Jesus, we can still rejoice. For he brings us himself. And in his wisdom, he calls people home to something better. To a place where they will receive full restoration in Christ with him in eternity. We must not see that as the lesser option, as painful as it is for those of us who are left behind. For that is why Christ came. That one day we might go to be with him and with his Father in heaven. Matthew wants us to be in no doubt as we read through this gospel. That Jesus alone is the one who has authority over all things including life and death. And that is why he beckons sinners and sufferers to come to him. And how does he achieve that salvation for us? Well, he achieves it through being gentle and lowly and going to the cross for us. And yet at the cross, his conquering power is seen. And the awe that ripples through the crowd as they watch the healing of this paralysed man is magnified. As we look at Christ rising from the dead, victorious over all. So as we look on and understand who Jesus is, as we come to him, as we end this morning, 
we hear this call, the same call that went to Matthew, the writer of this gospel, who's not writing in an abstract way about Jesus' ministry, but he is someone who knows personally the power of coming to Jesus for his own life has been transformed as he has heard the call of Jesus to follow me. And in our story this morning, we find Matthew, pre-conversion, sitting in a tax booth, a tax collector despised by many. But then Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and leaves everything behind and follows Christ. As we end this morning, I just want to note that Christ calls all of us to follow him. And we don't need to be in a church or a religious setting to hear that call. In fact, quite the opposite. The wonderful thing about Jesus' ministry is that his call often went out in the most unusual settings. Like to a man sitting at a tax booth. Or to prostitutes or fishermen or children a whole variety of people from every walk of life. And he calls them where they are at that time to follow him. And something in his message resonates with them and connects with them. And as a result, they leave everything behind to follow him. We see in our passage and throughout the Gospels that Jesus was accused by the religious leaders of the time of spending time in all the wrong places of town and with all the wrong people. And yet it was by going to these places that Jesus could reach out to sinners and sufferers in order that they might hear the Gospel and receive life and life to the full. And we see again Jesus' heart for sinners and sufferers in his words. What does it say? Well, we read the response to the religious leaders' accusations. And it says this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Our society is sick. It is full of sinners and sufferers. And Jesus comes and he says, don't be offering up sacrifices to me within the place of worship if you are not also willing to reach out in mercy to those in need. And in order to reach the whole spectrum of society, we the church, the hands and feet of Jesus today, need to carry that gospel message to every nook and cranny of the city in which we live. If our time spent talking about Jesus is confined to only a church sanctuary on a Sunday, many sinners and sufferers will never hear the good news of Jesus. That's not our calling, is it? Our calling as we're scattered across the city this morning is to go, to go and make disciples. And that takes all of us because it takes the whole body of Christ from every church across our city gossiping the good news of Jesus in different places in order to reach everyone for Christ. There is a purpose in gathering on a Sunday morning. 
This is the time when we as a, a church pause and gather again from that great mission field of life that we've been involved in throughout the week to come together to worship God, to praise God, to take the bread and the wine, to remember him, uh, to hear from his spirit through his word, uh, to be built up and equipped in order to be sent out again to help others come to Jesus. That's why we gather together on a Sunday. But then throughout the week, we are to take that gospel message to sinners and sufferers uh, throughout the city, telling them the good news of Christ and telling them that we are a sinner and sufferer again. But we have met the doctor who can make us healthy. We have met the one who can bring us new life and salvation. And we thank God, don't we, in this passage for the faith of the friends who brought their friend to Jesus. And for many of us, we would not have come to know Jesus if it were not for friends in our lives. And the greatest thing a friend can do is introduce people in need to Christ. And that is what we are called to do as friends of others throughout this week to come. And so as we end this morning, let us just take a moment to come to Jesus ourselves. Let us just quieten our hearts. Let us come with praise and thanksgiving to him for the way that he has restored us. For anything that is broken in us this morning, for any sin uh, that acts as a barrier between us and God this morning. Let us seek his forgiveness and ask that he might fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. Let us thank him that he welcomes us into his presence this morning. Let us ask him to equip us by his Holy Spirit as we prepare to step out into a new week ahead to help others, those who are trapped in sin, those who are suffering, to come to Jesus themselves. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son into the world for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the heart of Christ towards sinners and suffering. We thank you that he was willing to proclaim sins forgiven. That he was willing to reach out and to touch those in need in order that their lives may be restored. We thank you that through the work of Jesus on the cross and the continuing work of your Holy Spirit in our world, that many, as they come to Jesus, are still finding that new life and restoration today. And we pray that we as a church might be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would worship you out of a gratitude in our own lives for what you have done for us. And we pray that this week ahead that you might give us even just one opportunity to speak to someone who does not know you yet someone who might be suffering in their life 
someone who might be trapped in sin, to talk to them about the new life and hope that is found in Christ and to help them come to Jesus. Fill your church scattered across this city with your hope, with your love, with your spirit. Guide us, protect us and sustain us uh, until that time when we are able to meet again in person. But we thank you that as we gather today, that we are never alone, for you are with us, for the way that your right hand upholds us. And we pray that we might know the blessing of your presence with us this day. In Jesus' name, Amen.